Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. This Jesus that we sing about, that we read about, that we pray to, that we honor today was a sin thrashing menace to the devil. He was a man who walked in power and might and majesty. We've been talking about the fact that he was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was a lion, he wasn't weak. He wasn't coy and he wasn't ashamed. He wasn't just needlessly vulnerable. He was a sin thrashing menace to the devil. And that's the life that he wants to breathe into us through the resurrection, through what he did on the cross. Each day of our life, through every season of our life, in victory, overcoming every obstacle and assignment of the enemy over our lives. And so this grace that we bask in is a grace that came at a cost. We're the benefactors of it. But it was not won easily. And today, whatever you're walking into this morning with, whatever season of life you find yourself in, whatever week you've had, whatever is laying ahead of you in the coming days, you can walk fully in the grace and in the love of Jesus because he was that lion of the tribe of Judah that took on the things that we could not, that won the battles and the victory that we were helpless against. This is the Jesus we're talking about. I wanna read to you again, we've been in this for a while and we're gonna cover a few verses but I wanna to read to you again the, the spiritual context. Okay, so we're gonna be talking today about multiple dimensions, the spiritual realm and our physical realm. So the spiritual context for what happened on the cross, and we've read this a few times, but I, I just wanna come back to it. Revelation chapter five. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to get it out and you can follow along uh, with us. If you don't have it, that's okay, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. But Revelation chapter five, we're in the last book of the Bible. John is on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled by the Roman government because they're scared of him. And he has this vision, this incredible vision. And he has this vision of what's happening in heaven. Revelation five, verse five, let's start here. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And so John has this vision and before he has a chance with his human eyes to look at what is being described to him, 
In the spiritual realm, the angel says, look, here's what's happening. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah actually means praise. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's won the victory. And then John opens his eyes, and he doesn't see a lion. He sees the lamb. And that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks, this this contrast between how Jesus lived in the spirit as a lion, but walked in gentleness as a lamb in his community, with his family, with his friends, that he didn't feel the need to exert his his, uh, his power physically and outwardly. He exerted his influence spiritually. And that's what God is calling us to, to, to rise up and become spiritual lions for our families and for our friends and our kids and our community and our neighborhoods and our city and our region. God's inviting us to follow in his footsteps and become spiritual lions, but, but to walk like lambs in our community, to walk in gentleness and humility, understanding that it's not by our force or our exertion or our arguing or our debating or our Facebook posts or our Twitter tweets and whatever you call them. It's not by that stuff that we do that we experience breakthrough. It's what we do when we're praying and nobody's watching. It's what we do in the quietness of of solitude. It's what we do when we're reading and studying and learning about Christ. And so this is the spiritual context of what's happening for the Easter story. We're going to flip back into the New Testament. Well, we already were in the New Testament, but earlier in the New Testament. And I want to just continue to paint this picture for you of what was happening on that resurrection morning. Matthew chapter 28, so the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 28 says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, okay? So there's a massive earthquake. Here's reason why. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear and when they saw him, they fell into a dead faint. What I want you to see here is that there's a direct cause and effect relationship between what's happening spiritually and what's happening on earth. That as things are activated in the spiritual realm, as we pray for our families, as we engage with the presence of Jesus in the spiritual realm, it manifests itself in the physical realm. And we see this, that these angels came down. Notice that it wasn't Jesus who rolled away his own stone. There's actually no record in all of the Bible of Jesus actually needing to even walk out of the tomb. The angels didn't roll it away so that he could be uh, free and unhindered to walk out. They rolled it away as a demonstration that it was empty. And with that spiritual demonstration came a physical effect. What you and I do in our life matters. How we walk, how we live, the choices we make, the things that we engage in matter. Either we're going to sow into our lives spiritually something that brings life and freedom and growth, or we're going to sow death. It matters what we do. And Matthew takes great pains to show us that there's 
two dimensions that we live in, this spiritual one and this physical one. And we're kidding ourselves if we think, oh, it doesn't matter how I live or it doesn't matter what I do. It does. It has an effect. It has an effect, not only on you. I was thinking um, a few months ago, we had our revival nights here at the church and the kids were, were up here worshiping. And so my son, Simon, one of my sons, he's five. He was down here and he was right at the front and we were singing and he was right at the front and his hands were raised. I don't remember what song we were singing, but he was just going for it in worship. And he was just totally, totally, innocently just worshiping God. And, and later um, that night, he said, Dad, you know what? I felt the presence of God. I felt the power of God. He literally said, Dad, I felt the power of God. He's five years old. I said, Simon, are you, are, are you sure? Like, where, where did you feel that power? And he said, it was in my legs. I said, really? I said, Simon, I don't doubt you, but could it possibly have been the subwoofer that you were standing directly in front of the stage? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, yeah, that could have been it too, right? And, uh, but it's so neat that, that our kids, our kids are, are coming to know that, that this world isn't just what we see, that God is active, that there are multiple dimensions to this world that we live in. I want to walk with you. We're going to skip a couple of books, and this is the text we're going to spend most of our morning in. John chapter 20, and this is the story, and John eloquently unfolds the whole resurrection story, and we're going to read a lot of it so that you have the context you need. Well, let's start John 20, verse 1, early on Sunday morning. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple who was eating keto and who had been doing CrossFit training, he outran Peter because he was in better shape and reached the tomb first. I can just see Peter getting there late being like, hey, what's your, what's your routine? Or I, I bet you he just saw him and went, you're eating keto, aren't you? So this guy gets there first. Now I lost my place. I'm just so, my wit just is my undoing some days. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noted the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and laying apart from the other wrappings. So I just want to just stop here for one sec because there's, there's some neat things to point out here. I'm just going to point out one that it's, it's very specific that John mentions this because the, the wrappings that Jesus was buried were laying in exactly the place where his body would have been. They weren't even moved. 
And John makes a specific note that the head wrapping was laying exactly where his head would have been and was apart from the other bodily wrappings, noting that Jesus actually uh, probably actually just rose right through where he had been. He didn't have to get up and unwrap himself. It wasn't even like the time that he raised Lazarus from the dead, that literally he just raised from the dead through those wrappings. And they're left there as a sign that there is nothing physical, that there is nothing that we can feel or touch or experience that's a limitation for God. There's nothing that's a limitation for God. So the wrappings are where they were. In verse eight, then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believe. This is the first scene that John paints. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. So this belief that, that John has, the person who's writing this, he believes, but it's pretty shallow. It's like, yeah, I, okay, I get you. I see it. But it's just faith that doesn't have a lot of substance yet. Scene number two, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord. Just let's stop for a minute. So I was just wondering this this week. So the angels show up, there's a big earthquake, and the soldiers, these strong Roman soldiers trained in war, accustomed, accustomed to being in positions of danger, they faint and fall to the ground. And then there's this woman, Mary, who sees two angels, and it's like nothing ever happened. I was thinking about that this week, and it speaks to, I believe, the unique strength that A, God has given women spiritually, but also it speaks to the fact that for Mary, seeing into the supernatural was normal because she had walked with Jesus for three years. She saw how he lived. She experienced his power and his majesty. So for her, seeing into the, the spiritual realm was nothing out of the ordinary. And I'm so inspired by that because I think that we've missed the mark so much in our North American church. We've made it all about what we can intellectually grasp and understand, and, and that's important. But so many of us are so few when it comes to our understanding of the experience of the supernatural in our life. And so when it comes, we don't know what to do with it. We don't recognize it when God is working and when he is moving. And here's this woman who's not even phased by the fact that there's these angels there. She says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Scholars, it's funny, actually, when you read commentary on this, it's, they explain that a few ways. Either uh, she had been crying so much she couldn't see and her eyes were blurry, or um, that actually from what Jesus endured in the torture and the cross, she didn't even recognize him. 
And the Bible gets pretty explicit. We're not going to cover it today, but it gets pretty graphic and explicit as to how badly Jesus was beaten and disfigured. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Then Jesus says, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So she has this encounter with Jesus. And there's this level of faith that John is recording here. And what Mary needs more than anything is she needs to hear the voice of Jesus again in her life. She needs to hear this voice that she's heard so many times. But when she hears it this time, Jesus says, look, stop. Don't hang on to me. We're not going back to that old relationship we had. We're not going back to the glory days, to the good old days. We're actually moving forward. I have something new for you. I have more for you. My purposes and my plans for you weren't fulfilled three years ago when we were together. They're going to be fulfilled in the future. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm here. But don't get nostalgic about what happened in the past. So often in our, in our, in our faith experiences, we live in the past. We, we say, oh God, bring back the glory days. Bring back those days. And, and some of us go way back to kids camp when we were kids. And Jesus is saying, look, forget about what I did in the past. I've got something new for you. I have a new vision and a new plan and a new I can't even think of the next word, thing for you to do. It was very anticlimactic there. I thought I was on a roll, but I wasn't. Not quite like T.D. Jakes or anything like that. I don't have that stuff down. But So Jesus says, don't cling to me. So Mary, what she needs to do is she needs to hear his voice again. Verse 19 that night, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them his wounds and his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. We're not going to cover that. There's, we could do multiple weeks on those verses alone. But here's the next level of faith that I want you to see. So if Mary needed to hear Jesus, the disciples needed to see him. Some of you have been walking for so long without actually seeing God move in your life. You're, you're wondering where he is to begin with. You're wondering what happened to the kind of faith that you had years ago. And Jesus needs to just show you today. You need to see him today. And I'm praying for all of you today that you would hear him, that you would see him. And finally, we're going to see this last experience from this guy, Thomas, who gets a bad rap, but we're going to talk about that. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, 
and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So Mary needed to hear, the disciples needed to see, and Thomas needed to touch. He needed an experience with Jesus. He needed a different level of affirmation in his faith. And, and Thomas gets a, a bad rap. We all call him Doubting Thomas. And, and I actually believe that's, that's a little bit unfortunate because earlier on in, uh, in Jesus's ministry, Thomas was one of the most ardent, faithful followers that Jesus had. There was one point, actually, when uh, they were going back to Jerusalem and all the disciples were saying to Jesus, look, last time we were there, we got into big trouble and things didn't go well. So I don't think, Jesus, we should go back there. And Thomas said to the guys, look, no, 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 no. We're going back. Even if we have to die with Jesus, we're going back. And so Thomas displayed great faith in Jesus. And I believe actually what's happening here is as we look at Thomas's life, we see a man who's deeply, deeply committed, who's deeply, deeply contemplative. And Thomas is in effect saying, look, God, I, I don't know if I can stand to have my heart broken again. Everything I thought you were doing in my life came crashing down on Friday, and I don't know if I can take it anymore. So I'm going to need a little bit more than what Mary says. And I'm going to need a little bit more than what my friends say. I need to experience you. I need a touch from you. And Jesus, when he replies to him, it's not a rebuke to Thomas. He's literally saying, Thomas, look, touch my scars. There's no evidence to say that actually Thomas follows through. He probably didn't need to. But he's in effect saying, look, Thomas, Feel this. This is what love feels like. This is what power and authority in my name feel like. This is what hope feels like. This is what purpose feels like. These wounds in my side, they came at a price, but it's for you, Thomas. This is what my love looks like. This is what it feels like. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, when he was resurrected, left the scars? I've been wondering that. And of course, I don't know the complete answers. But I believe that Jesus rose again, but kept the scars as a reminder, not only of who he was to validate his life, but as a reminder to say, look, they thought that they were going to kill me when this happened. The devil thought that he had won the day. The devil thought that he had finally got me. 
But even though I have these scars, I want you to know that these scars are part of the resurrection power of God flowing through me. And you don't get into the victory and the power of God without the cross. You don't get to walk in authority without first walking through the cross and laying your life down the same way that Jesus did. We don't get to the blessing of God until we walk through the cross of Christ, until we're willing to say, God, I'm coming out the other side and I've got scars, I've got hurt, I've got disappointment, I have all of those, but I've been crucified with you and I'm not the same anymore. I don't have to walk in defeat. I don't have to walk, God, in sadness anymore. And some of us want the resurrection, but we don't want the scars. Some of us want God to bless us, but we don't want the scars. And some of us want God to use us powerfully, but we don't want the scars. And I think that Jesus has been saying to me even in the last couple of weeks, you don't get the blessing and you don't get my authority and you don't get to walk in my victory unless you share in my suffering too. Unless you share in the scars, unless you feel them and realize that those scars were for you and that those scars are not scars of defeat, they're scars of victory. You can touch them and you can feel them. What's really interesting is that history records that Thomas, after this occasion, Thomas, Thomas became one of the most powerful disciple witnesses for Jesus. Thomas actually left the group and went east. Thomas was the first missionary, so to speak, into what is now Iran and Iraq and China and what was Babylon. That Thomas arguably went into the most hostile, most dark places on earth, not because he was weak and doubted, but because he felt what God had done for him. And that was enough to propel him to give his life for Jesus. And Thomas died on the mission field for his faith. Hardly a weak man of doubt. And the question for us this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. The question for us this morning is, are you willing are you willing to lay your life down? Are you willing to lay your pride down and your anger and your bitterness and your lust? Are you willing to lay down your selfishness and your self-righteousness? Are you willing to lay down religion? Are you willing to lay down your intellect? Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I don't know what to do, but all I know is that I need you and what you did for me. 
Are you willing to allow the cross to impact your life? By its very nature, the word resurrection means coming back to life again. And we don't get resurrection without death. And the price that Jesus paid on the cross was one time for all, for all mankind. But he's asking you and I today, if we would walk in his victory, would we also walk in the cross and be willing to lay our lives down? And the cross, what it does is it strips and it kills in us everything that opposes the kingdom of God. I believe this morning, I really believe that Jesus is saying, look, you guys, you've been walking in your own strength too long. You've been trying to figure life out and you've been spinning your wheels and running in circles. And Jesus is saying, look, would you just trust me? Would you trust me to lay your life down so that I can actually raise it up into something more powerful, more beautiful, more effective? And the neat thing is that as we do that in the spiritual realm, that God begins to transform our life and our families and our communities. And so this morning, the invitation for you and I is one that Thomas had. Maybe you're like Mary and you, you just need to hear Jesus and maybe you're like the disciples and you need to see him, but maybe you're like Thomas and you just need to feel his presence again. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm here. And I have a full abundant life for you that you can't even imagine. Your wildest dreams can't even comprehend what I want for you, but you need to trust me. The way to life is death. The way to power and authority is humility and servanthood. And so Jesus is saying, would you humble yourself, lay your life down and allow me and my name and my power and my blood to resurrect you, to breathe new hope into you, to breathe new life into you, to breathe new vision and new purpose over your life. And that's what he wants to do this morning. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Would today be the last day where you live in your patterns of regret and shame, where you live in your patterns of sin 
and dysfunction? Would today be the last day where you live in your patterns of frustration and depression and anger and lust? Would today be the day where you lay down the things that you hold so dear? You know, it's interesting that when Mary and the guys ran to the tomb, Jesus didn't go in there with him. I believe Jesus is saying, stop going back to the tomb. I'm not there. Stop going back to those dead things in your life that you think bring you life, but don't. Stop going back there. I'm not there. I'm alive and I have a new plan and a new vision for you. Stop going back to the tomb looking for me because I don't live in dead things. I don't live where the dead live. I live where there's life and hope and freedom and deliverance. So stop going back to the tomb. Stop going back to your sin and dysfunction, Andrew. Stop it. But walk with me out into the future that I have planned for you. Some of you, you've been hanging around the tomb a bit too long and you get really comfortable with your guilt and your shame and you get really comfortable with that stuff and you wear it like a cloak because it's familiar and there's some kind of joy, not even joy, but it just makes you feel at ease. And Jesus is saying, look, I have the strength to give you to walk out of that. You don't have to live in that anymore can live in me. Let's stand together. God, let's pray. Jesus, Holy Spirit, I just invite you I confess I don't even know really where to go or what to do even right now. And so Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. You are our counselor, you are our advocate. You are the one who reveals truth and brings conviction and I invite you to come. I invite you Holy Spirit to come and reveal the heart of God this morning. would lead us through these moments toward victory in life. Jesus, that you would lead people out of bondage and baggage and hurt and shame and guilt into freedom and deliverance and hope and life. So Holy Spirit, show us how to walk through that in these next moments. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.